Hello and welcome to the Flourish Ladies Breakfast podcast. My name is Georgina Newton and I'm uploading our latest recording to the web so that you can listen back to it at a time that suits you. This time we're hearing from Sandra Hon, who joins us early morning her time in the USA. It was 2pm in the afternoon in the UK for a deeply personal talk from her work and life in ministry in Missouri. Here she is in conversation with the Flourish Breakfast host, Carol Rawley. Okay, so welcome, Sandra, all the way from St. Louis in you in the USA. This is Thank a real treat for us all today. And uh, yeah, over to you. You can introduce yourself as okay. well. Okay. Lovely. Thank you. Thanks, Carol. I'm Sandra, like Carol said, and I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. And my husband, Doug, and I have been married for 36 years, and we have four adult children. Um, six grandchildren and um, just enjoying life. My husband's a pastor and then also helps oversee the LifeLink churches that are here in the United States. So I really wanna thank you, Carol, for inviting me. And just, um, I just appreciate Carol so much, everything that you've done and are doing to pull women together and help us find each other in this strange season of life and you do an amazing job with with running this women's ministry. So I was very blessed by the Flourish Conference. I'm not sure if everyone here was able to participate, but um, it was amazing, just the speakers and uh, feeling that connection with so many people across the globe. And I did talk a little bit at that, um, and I was talking about when we have to wait on the Lord. Um, when we pray and ask God for things, he usually answers one of three ways, yes or no or wait. And I really like when it's yes, that's a good answer for me. And I don't really like when it's no, but at least it's clear. And then the challenge for me is the wait. When he hasn't said no, but nothing is changing in my circumstances right now, so I have to wait. And if I think the answer is wait, then of course I need to know how long, because then I can pace myself to be prepared for that. But that's one of the things that God likes to keep a mystery with us. So let me tell you a little bit about my background. Um, I did not grow up in a home where we went to church. I um, never heard the gospel until I was 14 years old. And how that happened was my mom started dating Frank, who became my stepfather later. And Frank was a believer, and he started taking my mother to church, which my sister and I thought was very strange. And then my mom gave her life to the Lord. And she started doing things like um, getting Christian magazines in the mail and reading a Bible in our house and hanging up decorative plaques with sayings about God on them. And I just thought it was all kind of odd, really. But um, then my stepdad, and they weren't married yet, but, but he became my stepdad. Um, they started inviting my, me and my sister to go to church as well. And I really liked sleeping late on the weekend, so I had no interest. And my sister just flat out refused. She had no interest at all. 
and they kept persisting and they kept asking. And so finally I started feeling really guilty. So I said, yes, I'll go to church. Excuse me. So that was the first time I ever heard the gospel. A man from England was preaching, Bryn Jones, at our church in Maryland Heights. And he gave an invitation at the end to repent of your sins and come to the Lord and give your life over to God and make a fresh start. And my heart was pounding inside and I felt like crying. And I didn't ever think that I would admit to somebody else that I was, was going to pray the sinner's prayer and follow Jesus. But in my head, I prayed and I accepted the Lord. And I unfortunately didn't do anything with that for a long time. And I still really liked drinking and smoking and hanging out with friends that just wanted to party. And I didn't really want to give that up. And then I also felt conflicted inside because I also really wanted to follow Jesus, but I didn't know how to do that or what that would look like. I didn't know any other Christians that were my age. So um, when I graduated from high school, um, my dad came in town and he was an alcoholic and um, he left our family when I was about eight. And my dad um, showed up to my graduation ceremony really drunk. And I didn't know that because I was out on the football field with all the other graduating students. And he um, was supposed to take me and my sister and my grandmother out for dinner. Um, it was a terrible, terrible experience. He always, you know, drove drunk, which, which was illegal at that point, but seemed to never get caught. But um, he had always favored my sister. And when we went out to dinner, um, he started putting his arm around my sister and telling us how much he loved her and how proud he was of her. And he said, she's going to actually make something of herself someday. And she's going to graduate from college and I'm going to buy her an MG and I will always be so proud of her. And then he looked across the table at me and said, but you are a failure. He said, you always have been and you always will be a failure. And I started to cry at the table and tried to hold it in desperately, but I couldn't help it. And then he said, look at you crying. You make me sick. He said, I can't believe that you're even related to me. And went on to say just hateful, mean things to me. Um, and then at the end of the night, I don't know why this happened, but my sister and my grandmother left in their car together. And I rode with my dad. He was going to drop me off at a friend's house for a party. And he um, said, I'm now I'm going to take you and show you where girls like you end up. And he drove to a section of the city where prostitutes waited. And that was just humiliating, embarrassing, devastating. And I didn't realize how much that night impacted me and how much his words and his attitude impacted me. But I always felt inferior. From that point on, I always felt others were better than me. So... 
I started college and I decided I was going to be a perfect person. Um, I prayed and I asked God to, to make me perfect. And um, I got all new clothes. I would get up very early to do my hair and my makeup. And then I would um, exercise all the time. I got straight A's. I, I worked really hard in all of my classes. And um, it was wearing me out. It was very tiring. It was very exhausting. And I also didn't want my personality to be me. I wanted to have a perfect personality. Um, but that doesn't always work because the real you comes out, right? And um, I just was very unhappy with myself. And one night um, I had um, some people that I carpooled with going to school and they told me that I couldn't be in the carpool anymore, that I was too far out of the way. And I had a few other things that were smaller incidents with, with friends and with my mom. And when I went to bed that night, I decided I was going to kill myself. So I took a whole bunch of pills out of the bathroom cabinet and swallowed them all. I prayed and asked God, if, I, if I'm going to hell, please don't let me die. And obviously I didn't die, but I don't know that that means I was going to go to hell. But anyway, um, I um, never really got any help after that happened. I, I did wake up my mom and my stepdad who were married at that time. Um, I woke up in the middle of the night and my head just was pounding, just feeling like hammers were hitting my head. And so they decided to take me to the emergency room and, um, they gave me medicine to make me vomit and, um, to absorb some of what I, what I took. The doctors asked me what I had taken. And when I said that some of the stuff was diet pills, the doctor took the, the gown that was over me and flipped it up and looked at my, my body. And he said, why are you taking diet pills? And I said, well, I just, I just want to look my best. And so he said to my mother, your daughter needs to see a psychiatrist and a therapist. And, um, you know, she, she needs some help. So we went home and we didn't talk about it ever again. And my mom did make an appointment for me to meet with a pastor from her church. And I was nervous about that, but I thought, you know, well, maybe, maybe something will happen that will help me. So I met with this pastor and his wife was in the room also. And, um, I kind of told my whole life story. And then he said, well, you've got problems, but everybody has problems. You just need to start coming to church and making new friends and you will be just fine. And that was not helpful to me at that time. And I left the church and I lit a cigarette in my car and I thought, I'm never going back there. I will never go back there. So I, my life continued to get more depressing, more difficult. I moved away from home thinking that that would help um, give me a fresh start, but I was still the same person no matter where I lived. And um, I ended up one night pulling a Bible off the shelf 
I had a Bible that my mom had given to me and I just opened it anywhere and I started to read and I was actually in the book of Psalms and I saw where David said that he was just full of despair and every night he watered his couch with his tears. And I thought, oh my gosh, I do that. He's like me, I'm like somebody in the Bible. And that was the first time I ever saw that something in the Bible happened to real everyday people, not specific Bible people. But these were people who had emotions like I had, excuse me. And it got me thinking, it started me thinking about what my life would be like if I started to follow the Lord. And I realized that I was gonna have to change. And I actually did what we all have read about, which is counting the cost before you start to build. And I didn't realize, I didn't know that scripture. I didn't know anything about it, but I sat in my room and I thought, I'd have to quit smoking. I'd have to quit drinking. I'd have to find new friends. I'd probably have to move back in with my, my mom. And one by one by one, I counted the cost and decided I, I totally wanted to follow Jesus. So I basically offered my really messed up, tangled web of a life to God. And I said that I wanted to follow him. And I just asked him to please help me because I couldn't change myself. I had tried to change myself. So I ended up going back to church with my mom and my stepdad which I, I really, that was very um, humbling for me. And I didn't really um, like going with them, but it was exactly what God wanted me to do and, my, and the plan for me. And suddenly the, the path of my entire life changed from, from then forward where, where I had been in this frustrating kind of holding pattern for many years, I started living an abundant life and, and this was a life that was exciting and fulfilling. And one of my biggest fears was that if I started walking with Jesus, I would, I would be very bored, that there would never be anything to do except maybe, you know, sit with old people and, um, you know, read the Bible. Um, but my life was actually extremely busy and very um, exciting. So funny how the enemy can really make you think that things are not what they are and what they will be. So then my life started this suddenly very fast pace and started changing. And um, in the next five years, I had met and married my husband, Doug, and we had our first baby, a boy, Nicholas, and um, we bought a house. We were asked to be home group leaders. Uh, we had our daughter, Meredith, and then um, we were at that point were um, serving in the first time visitors follow up ministry at church. And um, our life was just very fast, very exciting. Um, a little about Doug, he came from a completely different background than me. So he was raised in a Christian home. They always went to church. He had four siblings. All, both his parents were Christians. All of his siblings were believers. Um, and they just treated each other well. They um, really were exemplary, um, generous, kind people. And 
Doug was very zealous for God. He knew the Bible. He had gone to Bible college for a while and um, his personality is very outgoing. So all of these things made him, him a good leader. And um, at about that time in our life, um, leadership was changing at our church and they invited Doug to be the youth pastor. So he prayed about it and he accepted the offer and I was excited. I was excited for him, but I had a lot of self-doubt about me and what that role would look like for me if I was a pastor's wife. I was really afraid that people would be watching my life too closely, um, but I decided that I was just going to be determined to be available and to help with the girls and maybe you know, I could help some of them avoid some of the pit, pitfalls that I encountered in my teenage years. So, um, so at that time, I found out that I was pregnant with our third child. And I really was not happy about that. It was not that long since we just had Meredith. And I thought I really needed to be available for youth ministry. And I prayed that God would just give me a really easy baby because my focus should be with the youth group girls. So um, I had an ultrasound when I was pregnant and I found out that the baby was a girl and we decided to name her Emily Hope. And then we also found out that she had a really severe heart defect. So the, um, the person who did my first ultrasound um, had been moving the wand over, over my stomach and she had gotten very quiet. And then she said she had to leave and get a cassette tape because she saw something that she needed to record for the doctors. And fear gripped my heart. I was very afraid. Um, so to kind of condense everything that happened from that point, um, they, they had a pediatric cardiologist come and meet with, with Doug and I. And um, he said that she had about a 10% chance of survival. He said she would definitely need open heart surgery. The timing on that, he couldn't predict, but um, we should expect that she would stay in the hospital anywhere from one week to eight months. And I thought, eight months? Who lives in the hospital for eight months? Nobody stays in the hospital for eight months. Um, so I thought in my head I could probably handle three months, but that would be it. Um, so all of a sudden life changed. Everything that had been moving along at this happy, exciting pace suddenly slowed down to a crawl. And the pressure of my fear and of not knowing what was going to happen and wondering how long things would take, it just consumed my thoughts. Um, I believed it was up to me and my own faith to get God to miraculously heal Emily. We um, had the elders of the church anoint me with oil and they laid hands on me and prayed that, that she would be miraculously healed. 
and I went back for another ultrasound after that. And I was really just praying that they would say, oh my gosh, we must have made a mistake. There's, there's nothing wrong. But um, instead, um, they said things were much worse. So the longer she was inside of me, she had this enlarged pulmonary, pulmonary artery that was beating against her trachea every time her heart would beat. And the pressure of that might make her never able to breathe on her own. But um, I kept thinking of the scripture. When you pray, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea tossed back and forth and that person should not expect to receive anything from God. So then I started worrying that I was doubting. And if I was doubting, then that would make God not answer my prayer. I wouldn't receive anything from him. And then I was worried I was worrying too much. And was that the same as doubting or was it a little different? And did I just undo any prayer of faith that maybe I said before or somebody else said before? And I, I just had these thoughts running through my mind all the time. I couldn't make myself feel peaceful. And I was very upset with myself. I, I kind of reverted back to, to perfectionist mode. Like, you know, I tried when I was not a believer. If I do everything perfectly, then maybe, you know, my life will be happier and things will look the way I want them to look. And I just wanted to believe and totally trust that God was going to do a miracle. But my emotions inside weren't lining up with, with what I wanted to think and what I wanted to believe. And I began wrestling with God. Was he real? Does he knit babies together in the mother's womb? Is he the author and perfecter of our faith? Is he loving? Is he all powerful? And I just started this um, desperate search for answers. And I, I searched the word. And what stood out to me as I was praying for God to, to let me know what he thought, what, what he wanted, what he planned, um, I noticed this, that the trials and the suffering were as frequent in the Bible as all the miracles were. And in fact, the trials were part of the soil that miracles would take root and grow in and from, from there spring up. But I had to shift my thinking and I began a slow process of accepting that my plans for my life were not necessarily God's plans for my life. I couldn't just invite him along to what I was planning to do. I'll be over here doing youth ministry. You can come if you want. No, no, he is sovereign. He is the potter and I am the clay, not the other way around. So we stayed in an attitude of praying and then just waiting. We had to wait all the time, wait in the waiting rooms at the, at the hospital, wait for test results, wait for the doctor to come in, wait for an answer. And I just felt like I was stuck, like we just were stuck in this moment. So um, I had been praying and asking for God to speak something to me, to, to show me something. Because even if it was that she was going to die, I really wanted to know that. 
so I could be prepared for that. How, I don't know. You just are desperate for control, I think, when, when things are so uncertain. So um, I went to the Christian bookstore and they had a display rack that had wooden plaques with names on them. And then they had the definition of the name, what the name meant, and then a Bible verse to go along with that. So I looked for the Emily plaque and it said, Emily, diligent one, sorry. <laughs> and the scripture was Ezekiel 36, 26. And that says, a new heart will I also give you and a new spirit will I put within you. I will remove from you this heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Well, I think God just spoke to me. I think that that was the message he wanted me to see and hear. So, of course, I never doubted again after that. I was perfectly at peace. No, not really, not at all. I knew the Lord was up to something. I knew that she was going to live. I knew he was speaking to me but I was so afraid of the whole process that we would have to endure and what she would have to go through. So, pardon me, about a month after the first ultrasound, uh, Emily was born and we had to schedule a, um, for me to be induced because of the timing of it. So they had an eight person transport team in the room and um, they, they were from Children's Hospital. So they um, delivered her and immediately they could see that she was turning blue. So they put her on a ventilator and um, got her stabilized. And then they, they let us put our hands through this portal in that little incubator and uh, lay hands on her and pray. And um, they took her to the NICU at Children's Hospital. And when she was two weeks old, she had her first open heart surgery. And um, then she was moved to the pediatric ICU. Um, and at that point, they just kept saying that it could take months for her to be able to get off the ventilator if she could ever come off it at all. So she ended up getting a tracheotomy and a feeding tube. Um, she had a lot of other issues that kept crap cropping up and then they found that she had um, a little known genetic syndrome. She's missing part of her 22nd chromosome. And with that diagnosis, there can be over 180 associated medical problems and behavioral problems that go along with it. Um, so we just kept praying. We just kept praying that she would be healed and waiting, of course. She would have good days and bad days. She would improve for a little while and then really, really not do well. Um, we almost lost her a couple of times when she had a plug of mucus that was in her trache tracheotomy tube. And um, she had to have another open heart surgery at six months old. And she was finally stable enough after, after that that we could take her home from the hospital but we had to have round the clock nursing care because of all her 
equipment and um, medical needs. We had to have nurses come into our home to help take care of her. And we, we were trained also in everything to take care of her. And the day she was discharged from the hospital, she was exactly eight months old. So she was born January 31st and she was discharged on October 1st. So God had told me how long I would have to wait. I just didn't believe it. I just didn't believe it. I'm so sorry. I don't have a tissue. Yes, I do. Excuse me. So once we were home and we kind of settled into a routine, even though it was very difficult, um, I just kept thinking and Doug did too, that we would get through all these medical things and then we'd go back to normal life. And, um, as Emily grew, um, she started having a pretty significant immune system deficiency and she had a, a lot of behavioral issues and it was hard for me to even go to church, to go to family gatherings, to just go to the grocery store, things like that. I just couldn't come and go as I pleased at all. We had a, a whole lot of help with our other children. Um, they were two and five when Emily came home and uh, we had almost um, all of Doug's siblings take a turn each day of the week to have our other children over to their house just to, you know, have me have a break and um, be able to focus on Emily's care. So uh, it started hitting me after years, unfortunately, it took that we were never going back to normal. And um, that was because God always plans for us to keep moving forward. We don't get to go backwards. We, we move forward and it's scary because it's unknown. We, we don't know what it looks like. Um, but I think many of us have many difficult, difficult types of different situations that we pray about and then we wait. And the future is ahead, but it's unknown and we're afraid. Sometimes we just are afraid it's gonna be too hard. It's gonna be too difficult. And so we linger there in the unknown, hoping that, that we've got an idea of what might happen, that we want to happen, and, and hoping that we can figure out how long it's gonna take. Um, it might be problems with a child or health problems with, with the baby like I'd had or marriage problems, financial issues, our own bodies having health difficulties. Um, and, and we pray and we ask God for the answer and we pray that it's an instant, immediate yes and we get our way. But many times we linger in the unknown. We, we linger waiting and and trying to ponder and figure out what's what's going to happen so a familiar passage about waiting on the lord is from isaiah 40 they that wait upon the lord will renew their strength they will mount up with wings as eagles they will walk and not faint they will run and not be weary so how can our strength be renewed how can 
we, in the midst of pressures and difficulties, get our strength renewed. So I, I think there are many, many ways, but just what I wanted to share with you this morning are three things. So the first thing is to seek the Lord. If you listen to Rachel speak at the Flourish Conference, she talked about um, if we go through a season where we don't see any fruit in our lives, we don't see any leaves, we, we don't see any signs of, of life, that that is actually the time when our roots are growing. So when you can't see things changing in your circumstances, that doesn't mean God isn't working. It means something is happening in the unseen realms. Roots grow and develop from a plant as they seek out nutrients in the soil to feed the plant. I went to a women's conference in 2019, of course, not in 2020. Um, and a, a speaker named Margaret Feinberg was there and she had gone to visit a vineyard so she could learn about the process of grapes growing. And she said they taught her that when a new grapevine is planted, it is cut back to the ground every year for the first four years. That is so it will produce quality fruit. If they would let it go to fruition early, the fruit would be wasted. It wouldn't, it wouldn't have enough nutrients to be usable grapes. Then after they start letting it grow the grapes after the fourth year, if the grapes aren't good, if the fruit isn't quality, the gardener takes a heavy rock and lays it at the base of the plant on the ground. And the reason for doing this is it forces the roots to go deeper into the soil and find richer nutrients. So as roots grow deeper, we can allow that heavy weight of pressure that we're under when we're waiting for something to press us past our normal comfort zone, our familiarity with the Lord, and to, to dig deeper with Jesus. Seek God, seek him in his word, seek him in prayer, seek him in music, seek him in nature, Seek him in your, your friendships and, and conversations with other believers. Because the good news is, what happens to those who seek? They find. That's a promise from the word of God. If you seek him, you will find him. If you seek him with all your heart. Uh, another way that our strength can be renewed while we're waiting is to serve, to serve the Lord. So one definition of the word serve, or sorry, of the word wait, is to serve or to act in the capacity of a servant or attendant. So I had a friend um, share this. My friend Libby was telling me that God showed her that she should see herself when she's waiting on the Lord as his attendant, uh, standing at attention next, next to where the king is, and waiting for his needs or his instructions or his assignments. And then you go and carry those out and then come back again and wait 
for the next assignment. When Emily was in the hospital, we visited her every day, but we couldn't stay there all the time. Doug went to work every day. I took care of the kids at home. I did the laundry. I got the groceries. I did normal day-to-day -day routine. And I think all of this was helpful to us emotionally because we couldn't over-focus on our fears and our negative thoughts and um, what we were seeing that we couldn't control. Um, and maybe you live alone, maybe you don't have um, the flexibility right now because of COVID restrictions to do things that you would normally do and to serve. But um, you can ask God to give you an assignment. Go to him and say, what is it you want me to do? We have a, a few ladies in our church that are in their 80s and 90s, and they still send out notes of encouragement to other people in the body. And um, we have a, a couple of ladies that can't drive anymore, and um, they have asked people to send them prayer requests, and they intercede. That's their, their way to serve the body of Christ, and they take time to pray and intercede for, for the body. Um, these women are doing powerful things. They are battling the enemy. They're building up the church. They are active participants in the life of, of Christ. And what a blessing that they have ways that they can still serve. The last way our strength is renewed while we're waiting is to surrender. And that might feel like failing because surrendering is essentially giving up. But there's a peace that comes when we recognize that God is our good, loving, faithful, purposeful father. He has a plan. He wants good in our lives and we can endure hard things and even endure suffering if we know that God is doing something powerful and meaningful with it. It says in the word that he stores up our tears. What's he going to do with the tears? He's not letting them fall to the ground unnoticed. You only treasure something and store something that, that's valuable. I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know what he does with them, but it's meaningful to God, our suffering. We can be imitators of Jesus who knowing that the crucifixion was coming, prayed this, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Can we honestly say that to God? Can we pray that way? I think we can. So there's one verse that I wanted to read and then, um, a little writing that um, I found on Facebook. So 1 Peter 5.10 says this, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. I love that. So here's, um, it's not really a poem, it's just like a short writing that 
is attributed to a lady named Kimberly Henderson, but I don't know who she is and I don't know if that she really did write this, but it's, um, it was very significant to me. So let me share this with you. She writes, I would have pulled Joseph out, out of that pit, out of that prison, out of that pain. And I would have cheated nations out of the one God would use to deliver them from famine. I would have pulled David out, out of Saul's spear-throwing presence, out of the caves he hid away in, out of pain and rejection. And I would have cheated Israel out of a God-hearted king. I would have pulled Esther out, out of being snatched away from her family, out of being placed in a position she never asked for, out of the path of a vicious, power-hungry foe. And I would have cheated a people out of the woman God would use to save their very lives. And I would have pulled Jesus off, off of the cross, off of the road that led to suffering and pain, off of the path that would mean nakedness, beatings, nails, and thorns. And I would have cheated the entire world out of a savior, out of salvation, out of an eternity filled with no more suffering and no more pain. And friend, I want to pull you out. I wanna change your path. I wanna stop your pain. But right now I know I would be wrong. I would be out of line. I would be cheating you and cheating the world out of so much good. Because God knows, God knows this pain. He knows what it will produce. He knows the beauty this hard will grow. He's watching over you and keeping you even in the midst of this. And he's promising you that you can trust him even when it all feels like more than you can bear. So instead of trying to pull you out, I'm lifting you up. I'm kneeling before the father and I'm asking him to give you strength, to give you hope, I'm asking him to protect you and to move you when the time is right. I'm asking him to help you stay prayerful and discerning. And I'm believing he's going to use your life in powerful and beautiful ways, ways that will leave your heart grateful and humbly thankful for this hard road you've been given. Amen. 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 Sandra, thank you so much. Oh, that was powerful, that poem. Isn't it amazing? Really powerful. Thank you, Carol and Sandra. That was amazing. While you're here, why not subscribe to the podcast? And if you haven't already, join the Flourish Ladies Facebook group, and we'll see you next time at our Saturday morning breakfast. Bye for now.